Afrika Zora Afrika amka na unai Africa rise and shine Africa Zora Africa Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Jolani Tulo, Tabisolo Hoko, and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories, George Weah inaugurated as the new president of Liberia. South Africa's ruling ANC refuses to shed light on the future of President Jacob Zuma and election campaigns get underway in Zimbabwe. In economics news, IMF cuts South Africa's growth forecast for next two years and in sports news, Zambia top group B at the African Nations Championship. But first up, the news with Jalani Tulo. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. Uganda's army says it has killed 29 armed cattle raiders in the poorest uh, northeastern region bordering South Sudan and Kenya. This comes as a military operation enters its third month. Army spokesperson Albert Arinaitwe says they have been isolated cases, elf contacts and clashes between the UPDF and the warriors. Twelve weapons were also recovered during the ongoing operation and numerous arrests made. Communities in the region of and graze their cattle across borders. Kenyan herders are allowed to do so in Uganda in the dry season provided they are not armed. George Weir has been inaugurated as the new president of Liberia, where the United Nations is set to close its peacekeeping mission in a few weeks after a successful 15-year presence in the West African country. The new Liberian president took office at a ceremony in the capital Monrovia, marking the first peaceful democratic democratic transfer of power since the 1940s. The UN's Pascal Slim reports from Monrovia. The UN Special Representative for West Africa, Mohamed Chambas, called the inauguration a remarkable achievement for Liberia, congratulating the Liberian people for the credible and peaceful election and democratic transition. In his speech, George Weah thanked Hanmil, the UN mission in Liberia, for its efforts in re-establishing peace and security in a country that experienced two civil wars between 1989 and 2003. The UN peacekeeping mission has ensured unbroken peace within our borders for more than a decade, said the new president. For the head of Unmil, Farid Zarif, George Weah's inauguration is the culmination of all the efforts made toward the strengthening of capacity building in Liberia. A former warlord who fought in the anti-Balaka militia in the Central African Republic has been sentenced to life in prison. The International Federation for Human Rights says the conviction of Rodrigue Naigbona, known as General Angelo, is the first of its kind since communal tensions erupted in 2013. The anti-Balaka is an armed group that rose in, oppor- in opposition to the Muslim rebels who overthrew the CAR government in 2012. Naigbona, who... Rather, Naigbona, who claimed innocence, was convicted of multiple murders during October 2014 and January 2015.
A high-level United Nations report says UN peacekeeping forces need to change the way they operate in high-risk situations and not shy from using force. The report commissioned by the Secretary General says the UN blue helmet and flag no longer offer natural protection. The BBC's John McManus has more. Since 2013, 195 members of UN peacekeeping missions have lost their lives because of violent attacks. That's more than in any other similar period in the organisation's history. And this report, compiled by a team of experts, says it's time for the UN to go on the offensive. It warns that soldiers need to take the initiative to eliminate threats to their security, using force when necessary. UN missions in Africa have suffered the most losses, but the report says many of the fatalities could be avoided with better training before deployments. And finally, Sudan has freed an AFP reporter in Khartoum and a Reuters journalist who were arrested last week while covering protests. Idris Ali was covering the protests on Wednesday in the Sudanese capital's twin city of Omdurman, where riot police broke up a demonstration of about 200 protesters against rising food prices. He had been arrested along with a journalist from Reuters and a third colleague. Several protesters were also re- protesters were also reported to have been detained at the demonstration. Sporadic protests erupted across Sudan earlier this month after prices of food, notably bread, soared following a jump in the cost of flour due to a shortage of wheat. According to Reporters Without Borders, 15 journalists were detained while covering protests in Khartoum and Omdurman. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. George Weah was inaugurated yesterday as the new president of Liberia, where the United Nations is set to close its peacekeeping mission UNMIL in a few weeks after a successful 15-year presence in the West African country. The new Liberian president took office at a ceremony in the capital Monrovia and it marks the first peaceful democratic transfer of power since the 1940s. The UN Special Representative for West Africa, Mohamed Ilbin Chambers, described the inauguration as a remarkable achievement for Liberia. Pascal Slim of UN News reports from Monrovia. George Weah took office on Monday as the new president of Liberia, a country where the UN is about to close its peacekeeping operation after 15 years of existence. The new Liberian president was inaugurated in a packed SKD stadium in Monrovia, the capital city of the West African nation. With the help of our regional partners and of the United Nations, we chose democracy as our best choice, said the new Liberian president in his inaugural speech. The UN Special Representative for West Africa, Mohamed Chembas, called the inauguration a remarkable achievement for Liberia, congratulating the Liberian people for the credible and peaceful election and democratic transition. In his speech, George Weah thanked Hanmil, the UN mission in Liberia, for its efforts in re-establishing peace and security in a country that experienced two civil wars between 1989 and 2003. The UN peacekeeping mission has ensured unbroken peace within our borders for more than a decade, said the new president. For the head of UNMIL, Farid Zarif, George Weah's inauguration is the culmination of all the efforts made toward the strengthening of capacity building in Liberia. Pascal Sim, UN News, in Monrovia. The opposition in Zimbabwe is slowly coming out of its shell after the military intervention in November last year that led to President Robert Mugabe's resignation. Over the weekend, the MDC alliance held its first joint rally in Epworth Township, where thousands of supporters were told of the election roadmap. The alliance, made up of seven political parties, expressed confidence of winning this year's polls against ZANU-PF despite Morgan Tsangarai's poor health. Simon Machema has more from Harare. Zimbabwe's opposition is slowly gaining confidence of winning this year's elections against President Emerson Mnangagwa in the ruling ZANU-PF. This was evident over the weekend when Movement for Democratic Change, MDC, and their MDC alliance partners held their first joint rally in Epworth Harare in the absence of ailing Morgan Changrai. 
seven opposition political parties with the mandate of unseating former President Robert Mugabe and the ruling ZANU-PF formed MDC alliance last year. But things changed in November, forcing Mugabe to resign and the new president, Emerson Mnangagwa, is now ruling. Changrai, who was represented by his youthful deputy, Nelson Chamisa, is battling with colon cancer and has not held any rallies for nearly a year now. His silence and inability to hold rallies and public meetings is a cause for concern for millions of his supporters as election dates draw closer. However, People's Democratic Party leader and former finance minister Tendai Biti said Shanghai's health is no longer of concern to them as the alliance has agreed to move on. Give our people a fighting chance, and we are a team. One of the things that we are moving away from is big men personalities into, into teamwork. And you see the operations of a team here. Uh, Professor Walshman will be asked very soon. That's the team uh, that, that we are working Beat expressed the confidence the MDC alliance would win elections is under Mnangagwa's rule. Zimbabwe's economy appears to be heading for the West economically. You can you can lead an election, but you can't lead an economy. You can put army tanks against the sitting president, but you can't put a tanks against the economy. So the economy is responding. The economy is not trusting Emerson Mnangagwa. That's why the crisis of overaccumulation, the crisis of hyperinflation continues. Since the 24th of November, since the 23rd of November when he was sworn in, the graph, the economic graph is actually receding. Meaning that there's a gap between what he's saying in the market and the market are not believing him. And rightfully so. But the question that the market is saying is, you Emerson Nangagwa, you are Mugabe's right hand man for 50 years. What has changed? Show us your true colors. Are you a sheep? Or a crocodile. So far, he's showing that is a crocodile, and the market is responding, and that's the challenge here. Changrai's deputy Nelson Chamisa had this to say on the alliance chances of winning this year's elections. We are campaigning on two opportunity and prospect. Yes, the change platform, we've seen the change from Mr. Mugabe to Mr. Mugabe, but it's changed without change. We are moving from the same old to the new old. So there is no change. Mr. Mugabe is simply a replica of Mr. Mugabe because he has been Mugabe said for the past 37 years. So there's no difference. And he may want to face us as a new face of change, but he's not. We still using the Mugabe tactics, the Mugabe template, the Mugabe mind, the Mugabe voice, and the Mugabe philosophy. So we, we are not going to see him as a challenge at all. We will defeat him in the rural areas, we will defeat him in the urban areas. And we are so ready for him. He is our guest for this 2018 Meanwhile, some top MDC leaders such as Tokozani Kupe and Douglas Monzura were absent at the rally, giving rise to speculations that all is not well in their camp. The three-party vice presidents, Nelson Chamisa, Tokozani Kupe and Elias Mzuri, are fighting among themselves following a letter by Changrai expressing his intention to resign soon. In Arari, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Representatives from 55 African states have begun drafting agenda items for consideration during the upcoming African Union Summit. The ambassadors who make up the Permanent Representative Committee of the African Union are holding a two-day meeting at the AU headquarters in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Koleta Wanjohi has more. Diplomats from across the African continent are in Addis Ababa to lay the foundation for the African Union's upcoming summit. That meeting, scheduled for the 28th and 29th of January, will be held under the theme Winning the Fight Against Corruption, a Sustainable Path to Africa's Transformation. The AU's top official, Mohamed Musafaki, who is the chairperson of the African Union Commission, says the summit comes at a critical time. In an increasingly competitive world, marked by the increase and the rise of national egoism with xenophobia and the rejection of the other, as well as the threats against the multilateral system, we have no other alternative but to close our ranks and to pool our means. 
A report drafted by a commission headed by Rwanda President Paul Kagame may be forwarded for further consideration. Its focus is how to implement reforms in the operation of the African Union Commission. Sidibe Fatumata Kaba, who is the chairperson of the Permanent Representative Committee of the African Union, says that is one of the challenges the AU faces. We know also that we have a surge in conflicts, terrorism, climate change effects, the scourge of immigration, just to name a few. The chairperson of the African Union Commission, Musa Mohamed Faki, adds other issues that may be considered. Many other issues will be considered uh, focusing on uh, issues uh, like uh, agriculture, transport, science and technology, the new information and communication technologies, legal matters, governance, finance uh, and so on. This year, the African Union will launch the Single African Air Transport Market, a project that targets to spur more opportunities to promote trade, cross-border investments in the production and service industries, including tourism, resulting in the creation of an additional 300,000 direct and 2 million indirect jobs in the continent. All the items that the ambassadors will come up with will be presented to the foreign affairs ministers who are expected in Ethiopia for a two-day meeting beginning on the 25th. The ministers will then trim down the items for discussion for the heads of state when they meet at the end of the month. Koleto Njohi, SABC News in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Channel Africa. Koleto Njohi, Addis Ababa. Africa, rise and shine. I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Jean-Noël Bamwese, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzeka. In Yawundi, informing the world about Africa. In Lesotho. And I am Dana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa. South Africa's governing party, the ANC, has refused to shed light on the future of President Jacob Zuma, except to say its top six officials are seized with the matter. This emerged at the end of its National Executive Committee, Lehotla, and its first NEC meeting of the year. The governing party has also promised to name party members who will constitute its interim structures in KwaZulu-Natal and the Free State provinces. Ndebo Mukobo has more. At the epicenter of the back-to-back NEC and Lekotla meetings was the future of President Jacob Zuma as the head of state versus Cyril Ramaphosa as the leader of the ANC. With calls from some quarters in the ANC that Zuma be relieved of his duties, the ANC has opted for a reconciliatory path, as Secretary General Ace Mahashule explains. Indeed, the officials were seized with this matter, and the officials will remain seized with this matter, because we have earlier said there will be continuous interaction between President Ramaphosa and President Zuma, and this matter was discussed in the National Executive Committee. And President Jacob Zuma and President Ramaphosa are actually talking about the coordination between Lituli and government. So the matter is with us. There isn't any rumor or any decision taken to remove Comrade Zuma, as some say in the social media, he has been given a deadline by tomorrow. There isn't such a thing. On the political impasse in the KwaZulu-Natal and the Free State Provincial Executive Committees, the ANC Secretary-General says they will reveal names of party members who will form part of the interim structures in those provinces with the aim of reconvening legitimate elective conferences. The Free State and the KZN, we are meeting structures tomorrow. We can't talk about the names when we have not actually involved our structures and informed them. And those comrades will be... Uh, making an interim uh, committee to ensure that conferences happen between now and March and April. So tomorrow, after we have informed them, I think we'll be able to give you the names of uh, those, uh, those comrades who will be interim leadership, who must then make sure that uh, we go to conferences. And on matters relating to government, Mahashule says the ANC and its government will be pushing for the revival of the economy and attracting investors. With unemployment now at over 37%, the ANC Secretary General says they've instructed government to convene a job summit. This year, 
In the first quarter, we must convene a job summit to develop a common approach towards growing the economy and employment creation. So we need all South Africans, stakeholders, to participate and make sure that we move forward as South Africa to implement the decision to distribute spectrum in a manner that supports transformation and reduce barriers to entry and agently establish of the Fourth Industrial Revolution Commission to develop a joint country intervention plan to leverage opportunities offered and mitigate negative consequences of the Fourth Industrial Revolution. On the intervention by the Asset Forfeiture Unit in the controversial Gupta-linked Freire Dairy Project in the Free State, Mahashule says the law must take its course and everyone involved must be brought to book. We have also adopted a resolution that we must fight corruption. This is what is happening. We are saying wherever there is corruption, the law must take its place, whether it's with Freire Dairy or any other thing. So let's leave that matter. It's, it's with the NPA, it's with the law enforcers. Whatever happens, we are actually reiterating the stance of the ANC that we need to fight corruption wherever it rears its head. So we will treat the free the dairy in that way. My son has been working for the Cooktas. It has never been a secret. It has never been a secret when I became premier and was working for the Cooktas. It was not a secret you knew as the media. And my son is not involved in the free the dairy. The outcomes of the NEC Lokota will fit into the State of the Nation address, which will be presented by President Jacob Zuma next month. It will also form the basis of the national budget by Finance Minister late in February. I am Tebu Mokobi in Johannesburg. ANC Secretary General Esma Khashule says the ANC is aware of the issues that plague ESCOM and subsequently welcomed the new appointments at the power utility. Uh, the ANC has welcomed the the issue uh, of, of, of the ESCOM board. As officials, we are aware of the discussions between the presidents and we appreciated the fact that they were dealing with uh, challenges uh, facing the country and uh, as we move forward, we want to move forward in a unified way. And the ANC welcome. I can speak confidently with, uh, uh, without any contradiction that, uh, yes, we, we did welcome the the, the DA's Shadow Minister on Public Enterprises, Natasha Mazzoni, says the appointments were long overdue. I think that they have a mammoth task ahead of them, but I think it's not just up to ESCOM, I think it's up to government, uh, politicians, civil society, uh, as well as the ESCOM board. It's, it's up to all of us to turn this entity around. Uh, unfortunately, under the leadership of Minister Lynn Brown, uh, the entity has reached, uh, reached virtual collapse, and, and that is most unfortunate. But uh, now I think if we all pull together, the entity can actually be a success. And, and we must always remember, if ESCOM is successful, the country is successful. EFF Secretary General Godrej Gadi says the caliber of leaders selected have the potential to save the power utility, especially the new chairperson, Jabu Mabuza. We look forward to him a walk- Walking the talk, not only talking against corruption, but acting against corruption. We must see him in several police stations opening criminal cases against the former board members, former executives, current and uh, former executives and board members. And uh, he must just get them arrested. We hope he will resist any temptation of patronage and nepotism from the politicians of the ruling party and look forward to him also uh, cancelling all apartheid coal supply contracts. The FF Plus's Anton Albert says they have high expectations of the board to set things right. They have uh, hard work that lies ahead of them, an almost an impossible job to make sure that ESCOM is saved. We know by month end they have to make sure that it's financially stable, um, they have to renegotiate all of their debt obligations with South African banks, international lenders, as well as the World Bank. So if they can do that, then they will show that they do have the metal to actually deal with the problems of, of ESCOM. And it's very important that they actually do so because the whole country's economy is um, connected to the whole ESCOM affair at the moment. Community leaders in South Africa's Mokhale city say there will be no protest action in the area today. Yesterday, large parts of Mokhale city were brought to a standstill after residents took to the street to protest against drugs, prostitution and crime in the area. 
Police confirmed that at least 59 people were arrested, while emergency services say firefighters responded to at least seven separate fires as residents set houses that they allege run as brothels and drug dens alight. Selina Dubong has more. The march on Monday was sparked by the abduction of a young woman last week reportedly by Nigerian nationals in Mohala City on her way home from hospital. Residents claimed that they reported the matter to the police after establishing the whereabouts of the woman using a phone tracking application. But police did not offer much help, saying they did not have enough evidence. Angry residents decided to take the matter into their hands. They went on a search party until the woman was found. Five houses, including the one believed to be belonging to the kidnappers, were subsequently burned. The young woman, known to Channel Africa only as Tepiso, is now being kept in a place of safety and is receiving counseling. Community leader Joseph Mabuela could not share much information as the matter is now under investigation. At this stage, it's, it's rather difficult because the matter is still uh, under investigation and uh, at a sensitive stage. Uh, the police indicated to me that Uh, arrests are imminent, they're going to be making arrests. And so we cannot divulge more information, but all we can say is that uh, uh, we found there, she was found by the roadside, they they dumped her from wherever, and then dumped her, and then someone found her, we got a call that she's been found, and so we rushed to where she was, and then uh, she was taken to the police station. She sent a message, a voice message to the WhatsApp group to say, there are people following me. I don't know what's up, she was from hospital for checkup. There are people following me, you know, I don't know who these people are, and so I have to run because, you know, this is serious. And then from there, I think the, the message cut off. But she's still, she's still traumatized. We're organizing counseling for her and the family. In solidarity with Tepiso and another young girl, aged 13, who was also found at the weekend by residents at a suspected drug den, the residents decided to amplify their call for police to take action against criminal activities in the small town by closing down illegally occupied buildings. Member of Mohale City's youth desk, Tabiso Sebukhodi, explains. The community, they are not fighting with the police, but they are saying the drug lords and the drug sellers, they must go out of the town. What they are requesting from the police is to escort them so that they can go and witness that really, really, these people, they are out because of they've been sending. On Friday, we had a meeting with the station commander in Krugersdorp where we witnessed that, yes, indeed, memorandums were sent, but nothing happened. So the community, they, are saying they want to witness that, indeed, this thing is out because they've been, they've been making a lot of awarenesses about this thing, a lot of matches, including the priests around the, the city have been doing matches, including the residents who reside in Kruadop, they've been doing uh, matches. What we are saying as a, as a community is that we want the drug lords and the drug sellers out of our town. As the day progressed, agitated young people were seen looting shops, many of them belonging to foreign nationals. Many of the owners took refuge at local police stations. They say the protest lost its meaning. They are chancers. They're looking for the opportunity to steal other people's things. Break and steal. They start throwing uh, bricks on my windows. They broke all the top windows. And then... uh, some of them, they went to my buggy and they damaged it. They break everything what they could. They had enough time to break gates like this. They broke this, my supermarket and my bottle store. It's a thousand square meters, the shop. You know, like this guy that phones me, he says, there's nothing left inside. He's coming someone and he's breaking that shop. So I didn't know that with that, with that shop. I don't know who is that. So now I'm not safe to give me the safety. The, that feeling is bad. I'm not feeling it's good. That feeling is so much bad. While I was here around, I saw a lot of people gathering outside the shop with the cobas trying to fix it. While I stopped, they dispersed. Then I tried to reason with them, please don't do it because it's not the, 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 the people's of of, of, of these guys. It's only matching against the drug dealers. Then they say I can't tell them anyway and it was a lot of crowd. So after that I had to, to move away from them because they were coming to me trying to stone my car. So after that I went down and go go fetch the police. 
even if it was difficult to, to come with them, the police, but ultimately they came. After the police came, everybody ran away. Now we are deciding to take these guys for, the, for their safety to the police station. The tenants of this shop are the Bangladeshis who are renting this shop. The memorandum handed over to the police states that there had been several other memorandums sent to the South African Police Services Krugersdorp branch raising concerns about drug activities in and around the city. It further stated that the community, quote-unquote, noted with concern the ignorance and arrogance of the South African Police Services Krugersdorp branch when it comes to dealing with ridding the town of drugs and human trafficking amongst others. The community members gave the local government 48 hours to respond to their complaints. The police were not immediately available to respond to queries related to this matter. Reporting for Channel Africa from Mokhala City, I am Selina Ndobong. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, wake up. Africa, Africa, revetua. Africa, Africa, Wema. Sun rises. Le soleil élevé. Weya Wema. What's in the happen, Africa? Africa, Dumelang, San Bonani. Africa, Mulishani, Pulibanji. Africa, Ayanyomi, Kilonshele. Africa, Ndinkim, Kinkunume. What's in the happen, Africa? It doesn't matter where you come from. Lesotho, Kenya, Zambia, Ghana, Nigeria, Tanzania, Congo, Liberia, Togo, Ethiopia, DRC, Zimbabwe, Senegal, Sierra Leone, Liberia. It doesn't matter where you're from. We are one people. Channel Africa. The African Perspective. This is DJ Cleo with G-Exploits from Nigeria. Channel Africa. Bringing you the African Perspective. Our headlines up next with Jalani Tulo. Thank you, Lulu. Making headlines, Uganda's army kills 29 armed cattle raiders in the poorest northeastern region bordering South Sudan and Kenya. A former warlord who fought in the anti-Balaka militia in the Central African Republic is sentenced to life in prison. And finally, U.S. Vice President Mike Pence pledges to move the American embassy in Israel to Jerusalem by the end of 2019. For Channel Africa, I'm Jalani Tulo. Violent clashes broke out in the South African mining town of Rustenburg when a group of over 50 foreign nationals stormed the local police station demanding answers on the killing and assault of their countrymen by locals. Police say after failing to get satisfaction, the group went into the central business district and attacked locals. Lucas Mutibedi has more from Rustenburg. This is the third week of violence in the Platinum Sea team that has already resulted in the killings, assault, burning of properties and attacks on foreign nationals. At the heart of the problem is drug peddling, the running of brothels and prostitution. Locals say their children have been helplessly hooked into Nyaopet drug, which led to them stealing anything that they could get their hands on to feed their cravings. Reports are that a group of about 50 foreign nationals from Johannesburg entered Rustenburg and met with their countrymen. They then stormed the local police station demanding answers for the killing of one of their own. Failing to reach an agreement, this resulted into a havoc. Police spokesperson in Rustenburg, Ofenza Mohadi, confirms this. Uh, we can confirm that the, yesterday evening a group of uh, foreign nationals came to the police station uh, with a complaint that they had not been protected by the police. They left being unhappy. We then later found a complaint that they have been terrorizing some of the communities within the Rustenburg area. The police followed up on, the, on information. Then we arrested 17 of them, 14 for public violence and 3 for dangerous weapons. Several taxi operators, including residents here, have reacted to the latest clashes. Both sides are accusing the police of not doing enough to quell the situation in Rustenburg. This has to end with them out. Drugs, no drugs, no Nigerians. No Nigerians, no drugs. For you to end, the Nigerians must leave Rustenburg. 
Meanwhile, six South African men who were arrested for the killing of a Nigerian man last week have been released. Police say they are still investigating the matter. As he walked out of the police cells, community leader Israel Maimani says they will continue with their project to clean Rustenburg. I was incarcerated for nothing, you know, for, for the truth. But uh, in any case, it's fine. The truth is we've got drugs. They've been peddled in our, in our city. And it's as people are selling fat cakes. This is the reason why we are being incarcerated. The 17 foreign nationals arrested are expected to appear before the Rustenburg Magistrate Court on Tuesday, facing charges of public violence and possession of dangerous weapons. Furthermore, the municipality will hold a press conference on Tuesday to outline their plans on how to resolve the current impasse. Lucas Mutibe, the SABC, Rustenburg in the Northwest. Former MEC in South Africa's Gauteng province, Dani Matlangu, says the decision to terminate their contract with Life Essie Dimeni was not hers alone, but that of a collective. Matlangu says it was a cost-cutting measure and in response to the Auditor General's concerns that the contract did not follow normal tender processes. The contract has been in place since 1979. Matlangu has been answering questions at the arbitration hearings in Johannesburg about the decision to take mentally ill patients to NGOs where 143 of them died. Wisani Makubele has more. That's the reception the former MEC Kadani Matlango received when she walked into the venue of the hearings. Family members of the victims of the Esidimeni tragedy, mainly dressed in black, got up on their feet to express their grief to her in song. They have been waiting for her appearance since last year. When the dust settled, Matlango was asked about her unavailability to appear last year. She says it was no secret when she left her country for London in early August. The commitment I'd made at the time to go and study and I did not know anything that was going to happen post uh, my departure from government. I left under the impression that nothing was going to happen because nobody said anything to me. I never ran away. All departmental officials who testified at the hearings have faced the question as to who made the decision to terminate the contract with Life Esidimeni. Matlangwa has dismissed suggestions it was her alone, saying it was a collective decision. To say that the decision was I think it would be misleading the public. The decision in government is never an individual decision. When the decision to terminate not only life, the respective contract, it was a collective decision. Did you terminate the agreement or give instructions that it I have no I have no authority to write to anybody to terminate a contract. Did the HOD terminate as you legally formally wrote to life and indicated the department decision of the department to terminate the contract. And who were in the collective? It was myself, the HOD, and all of us in meeting. Mashango has also disputed evidence by senior departmental officials who told the hearings that, apart from expert advice, she also ignored their concerns about the relocation of patients. Instead, Mashango has blamed former HOD Dr. Bani Silibano and former mental health director Dr. Makabo Manamela, saying they continuously misled her by reporting that the department would be able to find beds for the 1,700 patients. So when progress reports were being given to me at no stage, that there was a presentation in a meeting that says, MEC, this is impossible, it can't happen, can you please review this thing? In case, saying Dr. Manamela and Dr. Silibano told you that there will be 1,700 odd beds available yeah. for the transfer. Is yes. that what you're saying? And, and, and including, just to, spec- to mention specifically, the names of the hospitals are listed there. And at the time, the indication was that only fewer patients were going to go to the NGOs. Matlangu further says she was never informed about major problems relating to the transfer of patients to NGOs and always received positive feedback. Matlangu, however, admitted that things did go wrong. She says after she was informed of 36 deaths in September 2016, she asked Health Ombudsman Professor Malakapuru Mahova to investigate. She says Mahova was initially reluctant until he was convinced by Health Minister Arun Mutsualidi to conduct an investigation. Matlangu has apologized to the affected families, saying the move was meant to integrate patients into communities. To the members of the families, God, dear, 
the families who lost their loved ones during the implementation of this project, I am deeply sorry for your loss. And may their souls rest in peace. I know that we may not bring them back, but for what it's worth, I am really, really sorry. The hearings have adjourned until Wednesday. Arbitrator Justice Tihang Museneke left Mahlangu with a question about her resignation. What was the content of the accountability that you accepted? Why did you think things have gone so wrong that you ought to fall on your sword? I'm not blaming you for it. It may be that I actually admire public officials who fall on their sword. So I'm not being critical at all. But I'd like you to help us understand what was a big driver to assume that political accountability. And what are the things that worried you that you believe went wrong? Justice Museneke expects an answer when proceedings resume tomorrow. I'm Wiseni Makubele in Johannesburg. Cameroon is distributing 500,000 computers to all university students in what it says is a move significantly to boost education and research. But the distribution of what is said to be a gift from President Paul Bia, one of the longest-serving presidents in the world, months before presidential elections has generated criticism. Over 133 million U.S. dollars was used to buy the computers. Mogi Kinzaga reports from Yaoundé. Thousands of students sing as they line up at the University of Yaoundé 2 campus in Sua, 15 kilometers from Cameroon's capital city, to receive free laptops. Among them is Eric Ambe, a 21-year-old second-year law student who says he will now be able to do online research. He says he could not raise $150 to buy a second-hand laptop sold near his university. We are very happy because you help us to study well, you help to prepare our courses well. We did give the youth canal study well. Professor Jacques Famindongo, Cameroon Minister of Higher Education, is distributing the laptops. He says all duly registered university students will have their own share of what he says is a gift from Cameroon's President Paul Bia, who is helping young university students secure access to modern-day digital economy. He says students of English-speaking regions where there have not been classes should also come to the campuses and receive the computers. Students are very delighted because they receive a fantastic gift from their father, the heir of state, who loves them and who knows that they are the future of our dear and beloved country. The university community thanks His Excellency Paul Bia for this donation. The 80,000 computer laptops being distributed are part of a promise of 500,000 President Paul Bia made in 2016. The government has promised to distribute all of them by April this year. The computers manufactured in the Chinese city of Shenzhen in Guangdong province are branded PEHEV, meaning Paul Bia Higher Education Vision. But here at a computer repair shop at the student's residential area of Bonamusadi, three students have already sold theirs, complaining that the laptops are not of good quality. Pius INE hardware maintenance technician says what is very frustrating to users is that the laptops are sluggish. The hard drive is too small. The capacity is 32 gigabyte. The processing speed is just 1.44 gigahertz. If you install like a Microsoft Office and uh, the operating system, you cannot run any other heavy program. The government announced it secured a loan of 75 billion CFA francs or over 133 million from China to buy the computers. The government says each costs about $550 and they will use the remaining loan to train information technology trainers. But opposition political parties say the loan should have been better used to set up a computer assembly plant in the Central African state. The SDF says BIA is using the computers as a campaign tool ahead of the September 2018 presidential election. 
The SDF says Gambia invested $7.5 million to begin an IC assembly plant and that Kenya also has hers. Isa Chiruma, Cameroon's government spokesperson, says the over $133 million invested in the computer project includes training for ICT trainers candidate to succeed himself after 35 years. He is one of the longest-serving leaders in the world, and people think he is using the computer project to convince people, especially the youth, who are a majority of the population, to vote for him. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzika in Yaoundé. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhoko. Good morning. International charity organization Oxfam has released a report on the growing gap between the super-rich and the rest of the world, as a small minority continues to own wealth. The inequality report states a four out of every five dollars of wealth generated in 2017 ended up in the pockets of the rich. It blames a tax evasion, firms' influence on policy, erosion of workers' rights and cost-cutting for the widening gap. Oxfam South Africa Executive Director Sipom Tati. The story in South Africa is that we know for a fact that 95% of total wealth in this country remains in the hands of 1%. We outline in the report how both for South Africa and globally, the dynamic of extreme inequality we see today is as a direct result of choices that have been made by our governments which have allowed the kind of market um, structure and market capitalism to run amok. We are saying that um, this economic structure is broken. The rules have to be rewritten. Investment analyst Nadi Token says South Africa's Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa's delegation to the World Economic Forum is taking a very positive message in terms of a government's reforms at state-owned entities. Token's statement comes after power utility ESCOM said it would ask local banks to reopen lending facilities that were suspended last year. South Africa's Treasury says it will support ESCOM's bid to persuade banks to lend. 82 million U.S. dollars. This as Eskom suspended Chief Financial Officer Anash Singh resigns. Token explains. Mr. Mr. Ramaphosa, it seems to me, has to had to maneuver past Lynn Brown and uh, the parliamentary structures and engage directly with uh, with Eskom. I've done it. I don't know, but uh, it smells to me that. Uh, he couldn't fire Lynn Brown, as everybody has been calling, uh, because he's not in charge of Parliament. Uh, that's from Mr. Zuma's prerogative. So, so maybe some cunning work by Mr. Basaro, but, uh, you know, whether, the, whether this cunningness actually solves the problem, that's the issue. The issue is that Eskom needs to be fixed. Congress has voted to end a three-day U.S. government shutdown. The move approves the latest short-term funding bill as Democrats accept promises from Republicans for a broad debate later on the future of young illegal immigrants. Now, the fourth temporary funding bill since October easily passed the Senate in the House of Representatives. President Donald Trump later signed the measure, largely a product of negotiations among Senate leaders. The International Monetary Fund has cut South Africa's economic growth forecast for the next two years, citing rising political uncertainty that has dented investor confidence. The BBC's Andrew Walker. Prospects, the IMF says, are brighter. It says the pickup in growth has been broadly based, though the report mentions Asia and Europe in particular as having already done better than previously expected. The IMF also expects tax reform in the United States to stimulate economic activity, with most of the impact coming from increased business investment in response to cuts in corporate taxes. There are exceptions to the improving outlook, notably South Africa, where the IMF says political uncertainty is weighing on investment and confidence. 
The US dollar trades at 12.7 in South Africa. It's at 9.55 in Botswana and at 9.71 in Zambia. 71 pence to the British pound, 81 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,336, platinum $996 an ounce. The price of Brent crude oil, $69.42 a barrel. Channel Africa. A sport update up next with Figile Lingwati. First up in our sports update this hour, we'll begin with cricket news. Indian cricket team coach Ravi Shastri has hinted that India are more likely to have more changes in the test team to face South Africa in the third and the final Sunfall Trophy test at the Bidvest Wanderers in Johannesburg starting on Wednesday. Still winless in the test series thus far, India have been heavily criticized for inconsistent and questionable selections on their tour of South Africa with players such as batsmen Ajinka Rahani and bowlers Umesh Yadav and Bhuvaneshwar Kumar left out of the side. Shastri had this to say about their selection criteria on home and foreign soil respectively. Chopping and changing in India is easier. Uh, in fact, in uh, overseas is easier. In India, you don't need to chop and change because you know what the conditions are. Overseas, you have to go on current form. You've got to go on conditions. You have to see which player can adapt to certain conditions quicker than the other. What are the overhead conditions for which bowler to play as opposed to what kind of track you will get where you need a bowler with bounce or you need a bowler with swing. When you have choices, that will always be the case. If Ajinkya had played first and not done well, you would have asked me the same question, why is Rohit not playing? Rohit played, he didn't do well, you're asking me Ajinkya didn't play. The same would have happened with the fast bowlers. So when you have choices, the team management has discussed what is the best option and they stick by it, they go by it. As simple as that. So that's where the chopping and changing starts my friend. Despite having won the series, Proteus fast bowler Venon Philander believes that there is no dead rubber game when playing against a quality side like India. Philander, who will be playing in his 50th test match for South Africa if selected, says they will put together the necessary preparations today with the aim of winning the third test at all costs. Yeah, I think it's another game of cricket for us. Uh, we want to win each and every single game we play. The series might be gone, but yeah, we still want to win this last one. Emphasis is obviously on preparation today and tomorrow, and obviously you're not know, getting fired up for that last test match. Yeah, like I said, you know, yeah, we want to win each and every single test match that we play, so there's no you know, dead rubber game for us. Uh, like I said, we'll prepare obviously as well as we can over the next two days and be ready for come Wednesday. But like I said, you know, yeah, there's absolutely no dead rubbers when we play you know, yeah, any team in the world. South Africa's under-19s national cricket team are on their way to Christchurch as they prepare for the ICC Under-19 World Cup Super League encounter against Pakistan on Wednesday. South African under-19 coach Lawrence Mahatlani reflected on Saturday's 71-run loss against New Zealand and looked ahead to the quarter-final clash against an unpredictable Pakistani team. The coach was especially dismayed by the amount of extras bowled in the match. The team saw changes for the first time in the tournament proper, with uh, four players getting their first appearances in the contest. Mahatlani insists that the changes made were not a contributing factor, citing that there are no players in the squad of 15 that are not capable of giving match-winning performances. And in netball news, England fell short against world number one side Australia, losing 50-46 in the second match of the quad series. The Roses, who beat second-ranked New Zealand in extra time on Saturday, were chasing a first win over Australia since 2013. England fought back in the third quarter and were 37-34 down going into the quarter, but Australia held on for victory. Tracy Neville's side, who are ranked third and in the world, will now travel to South Africa for the final game of the series on Sunday. Australia, who beat South Africa 54-50 on Saturday, play New Zealand in the final game also on Sunday as they bid for a third title in four quad series events. And finally, with football news, Zambia were held to a one-all draw with Namibia but still finished top of Group B on goal difference at the African Nations Championship ongoing in Morocco. Uganda and Ivory Coast ended their campaigns with a goalless draw to end their first points at the tournament for locally based players only. Namibia took the lead through Absalom Limbodi, but Lazarus Kambole leveled. 
Zambia will face Sudan in the quarterfinals on Saturday, the same day Namibia take on Morocco. That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, George Weah inaugurated as the new president of Liberia. South Africa's ruling ANC refuses to shed light on the future of President Jacob Zuma and election campaigns get underway in Zimbabwe. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutora Magadza and Tutongobeni, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or tweet us at RiseShineAfrica or at ChannelAfrica1 or send an SMS on 277-969-57930 or WhatsApp on 277-6300-3327. Are taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa is Pumoto's choice.
Good morning and welcome to Channel Africa, broadcasting to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. First, let's cross over to the news desk for the latest news from Africa and abroad. Top stories is Asawa, Uganda's army kills 29 armed cattle raiders in the poorest northeast region bordering South Sudan and Kenya. A former warlord who fought in the anti-Balaka militia in the Central African Republic is sentenced to life in prison. And finally, a soldier has been killed and several other people injured after a volcano erupted near a ski resort in Japan. <laughs> 